Hey, hello, it's Jason Grimsley, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Hello and welcome to another edition of Clubhouse Conversation the place where we talk to all your favorite current and former Royals players and get those stories you can't hear anywhere else. It's Davo, and today we take that a step further on Clubhouse Conversation as we get a big-time exclusive. Jason Grimsley will join us on Clubhouse Conversation. This is the first interview he has done, of course, since the unfortunate things kind of scarred his name unfairly. In 2006, with the whole performance-enhancing drugs thing, and uh, you know, agents getting involved, and newspapers saying that Grimsley said things that were later proven he didn't say, but Jason has never chosen to speak about any of this publicly. He says he will not talk about any of it afterward. Only today here on Clubhouse Conversation will we hear from Grimsley with his thoughts on that. But that's not the reason I booked Jason Grimsley on Clubhouse Conversation. I want to talk to him because he was a heck of a baseball player. Great major league career for Grimsley. He was in the league for, what, 15 years? Especially in Kansas City, the back end of that bullpen. Got in 251 games here for the Royals. Had a 3.94 ERA. Struck out 7 per 9. Won two world championships while with the Yankees. Threw with the Phillies where he came up. The Indians, the Angels, the Orioles, and Diamondbacks in addition to the Royals and the Yankees. And unfortunately, he is remembered because of the whole steroid and performance-enhancing drug things at the end of his career. And we will talk about that towards the end of this interview. We will get to that. He's agreed to talk about it, like I said. But I want to talk about the baseball at the playing career, do the talking first, and we're happy to have Jason Grimsley join us on Clubhouse Conversation. So first of all, obviously, thank you so much for being willing to talk. You know, I know you love Kansas City, so that's why you're doing this. So, you know, thank you for giving us the exclusive here as Royals fans. Uh, I guess first things first, what are you up to these days? What's keeping you busy in 2015? Uh, well, just uh, chasing my oldest boy. He's uh, pitching at Crowder Community College in Yosho, Missouri. Uh, my youngest is playing the outfield and little infield at the University of San Diego. So split between that and my little girl's a freshman in high school. And my wife, my family, I got a little baseball academy. I'm fairly busy. So is the academy down in Texas these days? It is. Very cool. And you're working with what, what, like the high school kids and college kids, stuff like that? No. I got, right now I've got 9-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13s, and 14s. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Nice and young then. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned your wife, Dana, then. So I know you guys did a lot of you know the charity stuff back in the day when, with the Royals, especially the Garth Brooks Teammates for Kids Foundation. You were the Father of the Year program and supporting local churches and stuff. Are you guys still doing some of that stuff these days, too? Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah, my wife's actually a child advocate for, for Montgomery County. She's doing some great work. Yeah, and we still help out with church and different charities. Um, there's an open arms home in East Island, South Africa that we that we still support and uh, you know give our time and our money to. That's very cool. Now, so speaking of the Royals, 2014, the postseason run. What did you think from afar, and did you enjoy watching that? Oh, yeah, it was a blast to watch those guys play. You know, there's never a dull moment. Yeah, <laughs> it was. You know, it was, and you know, and the back end of bullpen is probably the best, one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You got to be proud of those guys, Davis and Herrera and Holland. You got to be, you know, jaw dropping, right? 
they were unbelievable. They could they could go. That was fun to watch. Yeah. Well, so lots I want to cover then. So let's let's go all the way back then and start off uh, in Cleveland, Texas. So it's a small town about 50 miles north of Houston, how I understand it. And you're a really good quarterback in high school. You also got drafted in the 10th round by the Phillies, obviously, in 85. But before we talk about you getting drafted, so first of all, is Texas high school football, you know, as, as big as they say? And then could you have gone D1 as a quarterback had you wanted to? No, I don't think I've gone D1. Yeah, I've been to a couple of schools and had a visit and realized that that wasn't that wasn't what I was going to do. Those guys were a lot bigger than I was, a lot faster than I was at that time. Um, but you know, playing quarterback at a Texas Texas high school was it was definitely interesting. You know, you had to, you knew you were going to get hit. You knew it was going to be you was going to be hurting on Saturday. You knew you had to get up one more time to keep playing. You know, and it was uh, you know, I think everybody should play football. It teaches a whole lot about life. Yeah, no doubt about that. So it's Tarkington High School then. Now, so is it true you didn't even play baseball then because of injuries your junior and senior year then? Right, yeah. My junior year, I broke my right wrist in off-season football and didn't get to play the whole year. Broke broke both bones really bad, actually. I think I was in a cast for almost 12, 14 weeks. Jeez. And then uh, then, um, my senior year, I broke my left wrist and hurt my right shoulder in a basketball game and didn't get to play my senior year. So, but still, so the Phillies still take you in the tenth round, obviously. So, how did they discover you? They must have, you know, been your radar early on. Then I'm assuming. No, no, I um, I graduated on May 28th. As soon as I walked off the stage, my high school coach, a man named Rick Lynch, who's still coaching at uh, Concordia High School in Texas, put me in his car, and we drove to Arlington, Texas, to a uh, Phillies trial camp. And oh. We got there. We got there about 4:35 o'clock in the morning because we drove all night. It was about four and a half hours from the house. And um, got there and asked if we could come back the next day because I hadn't got any sleep. And the guy that was the uh, Doug Gasway was the man that was running it. Said, "Yeah, if you don't mind him facing the guys, we're gonna bring him back and have a second look at it." And we didn't mind, so came back the next day and I was actually warming up in the outfield, long toss, and I went to throw in the bullpen. And the catcher was the UTA's starting catcher, and he asked me what I was doing. I said, "I'm getting ready to throw." He looked at me. You know, 5'11", weigh 160 pounds, 170 pounds, <laughs> got braces. And uh, he said, all right. So played a little catch. He got down the first ball I threw. He just completely whiffed it. And he started laughing, threw the ball back. And so he carried me in to the to the cage on the field. And we're walking out there. He said, dude, I tell you, good luck, but you don't need it. And uh, so we get, I get on the mound, and everybody looks out there, and there's 20 college coaches, and there's Doug Gasway. The Phillies count. They look out and they look at me, look down at the paper, and they go back to talking to each other, not paying attention. First ball through, sounded like a gun went off. And somebody, guess what? He talked to the catcher. Catcher looked up and shook his head, yes. And I looked up and 20 guns were pointing at me and threw one more pitch. And guess what? He threw his hands up and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, son, where you been? <laughs> I said, talking to Gray High School. And uh, so May 28th, didn't know if I was going to be able to play college or high school baseball. I actually got a visit to Seminole Junior College. Lloyd Simmons committed to go there and then found out on June the 6th that I got drafted and then June the 11th I was in Bend, Oregon. So from May 28th to June 11th, my life completely turned in 180 degree circle. Holy cow, so two <laughs> weeks there. So you so you basically had, you had basically, because of the injuries, you basically had no, you know, no D1 interest in baseball then. No, I didn't know I was going to be able to play college ball. <laughs> Holy cow. Now did you, did you have that slider back then? Uh, you know, my sinker, the two-seamer? Yeah, the sink slide, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I did, but nobody—they don't want me to throw it because he couldn't catch it. 
<laughs> okay, so that's when he couldn't catch. Okay, I love that. I love that. So then, okay, so then we have five seasons then before your first call up in '99 or '89, sorry. And so I wanted to ask you about 1989, one of the most memorable moments of your minor league. Seven inning no hitter you threw for Redding at uh, Harrisburg. So what do you remember about that day? Yeah, I just, I just, I remember walking a lot of guys and striking out a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, it was, it was one of those days where. My ball was just jumping out of my hand. Everything was like my curveball was really good. And, you know, I don't think they squared the ball up. It was just, I think in seven innings, I don't know how I think I struck out nine. I think I walked four, five, or six. Something like 130 something pitches in seven innings. But Wow. They actually let you th- throw that many pitches, huh? No, I threw 162 and then 150 something in back to back games another way. Oh, my gosh. So they weren't pitch counts then. Good grief! Well, it's 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 that September of '89. You get the call that you know every minor league player dreams of to the big leagues. Now, so were you expecting to go up as a September call up, and then if not, or either way, you know, what do you remember about the time they told you? I, I you know I didn't I didn't really know going into going into August. I was um, I was six and five, I believe. So I was six and five. No, I'm sorry, I was six and ten going into August. With a three something on average, you know, it wasn't, wasn't good, wasn't bad, but I was learning. I think I was 20 years old, and then August I went um, five and zero with a point nine earned run average, something like that. And we get we get down to the playoffs, I pitch a game in the playoffs, and we didn't have cell phones then, so the manager uh, Mike Hart stopped at a rest stop, used the phone, got back on the bus, and we went. We, we got to Reading. He said, "Jason, you see in the office." And I didn't know what was going on, you know. And then uh, told me I was going to big leagues. <laughs> and then that was one of the best calls I've ever had. Best calls I ever got to make in my life. So I got to call my dad and tell him that. Oh my gosh! So at, at a rest area, he got the news. That's classic. I love that. Yep. Yep. That's great. Now your three seasons then with uh, with the Phillies, you had parts of three seasons. What are your favorite you know memories of your Phillies days at the major league level? Oh, you know the guys that I played with. You know, and, and playing in Veterans Stadium, and you know, and um, having a chance to go through spring training with Mike Smith, uh, I got introduced to Gus Heffling, who I still keep in touch with, and and really love and respect. Uh, you know, got to play with Bill Murphy, got to play with Dickie Thon, you know, Lenny, Darren, you know, and Roger McDowell, Jeff Parrish. You know, but you know, the list the list goes on. The guys that. You know, I, I looked up to it as a 21, 22-year-old kid. You know that that helped me along, and you know they did. They didn't have. They didn't have to look out for me like they did, or talk to me like they did, or carry me along like they did. But you know, a lot of them did. Yeah, and you kind of gave back later because I've talked to uh, like Justin Heisman in recent weeks and DJ Carrasco, and Heisman told me a story once where he was at Yankee Stadium and kind of looking at the monuments and all big-eyed, and you came up to him and said, are you a little, uh, a little nervous right now? And he's like, yeah, I'm kind of overwhelmed. And you're like, I still get that way even now. So, I mean, did, was there somebody like that back then that was kind of like that to you when you were coming up? Well, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few of them, you know. And, uh, you know, like, like I said, you got Don Carmen, who's a big influence on me. Really, really got along with him well. You know, he uh, he helped out a lot. You know, he he pretty much showed me what it was like to be a a, a big leaguer in the sense that you know there, there's some guys you play with that you know they're not gonna have anything to do with you. They don't want to talk to you. They're here, you're here. 
and it was, you know, it was just like you're in the same clubhouse. But you know, Don Carmen made it feel like he genuinely wanted me to succeed and help me get get to the next level at the big leagues, where I was a consistent player. Yeah, well, yeah, and, that... I, and, I, and and I rem- I remember that as a as a 19 year old kid, and I remember, I remember the way he treated me. So 20, 19 in spring training, and 20, 21 when I got to the big leagues. And you know, I said that's I'm, I want I want to be looked at like he's looked at by by every player that walks in the clubhouse. The respect that he has, you know, Don, that was a good pitcher. Wasn't a good, you know, wasn't the biggest pitcher in the world, but he's a big league ball player and had some success. But it, it was the way that he treated people that that really stuck with me. The way they treated me, and I said that's what when I when I, when I'm established and these kids look at look at me that are coming up that are wild eyed and you know got adrenaline and. There's a little, there's a little apprehension and tension in them. I want, I want to be able to do what that man did for me. Very cool. Well, so you're three years with the Phillies then, and then right before opening day 1992, this is kind of a thing you can brag about. You got traded straight up for Kurt Schilling as they sent you down to Houston. So where were you at when you found out that news, and what were your you know, emotions on leaving the team that had signed you and drafted you? No, I, was, I, was in, I, was in, I was in, I was in Clearwater. You know, found out, and I, it was, you know, it was, it was strange leaving the. The guy that you've been around your whole baseball life, basically, you know, and going out and starting somewhere new. It was, uh, it was a little. I'm not going to say there wasn't any tension or little apprehension there, but you know, baseball's baseball. I showed up over there. There's guys that I knew that I played against in the minor leagues, that lived close, that I worked out with in the winter, and in Texas, and uh, you know, it was it was it was a pretty smooth transition. You spent uh, so ninety two that one season uh, in Triple A Tucson there, and then they kind of released you quickly after. Were you surprised that that ended so quickly that you weren't given more of a rope there? Yeah, it's not the fact they released me. It's what happened spring training next year. Oh, really? I had yeah, I was I had, a, I had a really good spring training. I think I was four and one. Had a save, gave up. Uh, heck, I don't know how many runs. I didn't give up hardly any runs at all. I'm on the bus getting ready to go to the airport. They got my truck on the trailer. And, uh, front office calls me in, tells me that they're going to send me a Triple A. They want one of their one of their draft picks to uh, give give him a chance to see what he can do in the big leagues. And they didn't think anybody's going to pay me the money they're going to pay me to play Triple A ball, and it's late in the year. So basically, I didn't have a choice. And I looked at both of them, told them, said, "Yeah, I got a choice. Take my truck off off that trailer." I said, "I'm going home." And they said, "You can't go home. Nobody's going to pick you up." I said, "Well, I'll dig a ditch. I don't care. I'm not playing for you." <laughs> That's great. And I drove. And then I drove, drove home and got a call from the Indians and went to Charlotte a couple of days later and played with one of the greatest men on the planet, Charlie Manuel, who I absolutely love and respect to this day, probably like no other manager I've ever had management. Huh. Now, so speaking of Cleveland then, so you mentioned you know going over there, parts of three seasons you spent the big league level with the Indians, had some real good years there. Now, one of the classic stories, obviously, is July 15th of 94, the Albert Bell corked bat story. So, so you know, I've read somewhere where you mentioned you know it was a pure adrenaline, you crawled in the ceiling and, and switched the bats. Kind of tell that story for people that don't know about that. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, Albert went up to the box and uh, uh, Gene Michaels, the uh, White Sox manager, Thomas Kennedy's badass, as I opened a home plate umpire to look at the bat, and they looked at it and said they need to look at it further. And they took it in the uh, umpire's room, and I'd walked in with umpires that day. and were talking to them and knew their their room was on our side of the, the, the wall, the division behind home plate, and I knew it was a false ceiling. I just looked at the buddy, but I said, buddy, I think I can get that bat. 
And he looked at Grover, and Mike Algrove told me to go get it. So off I went. Put on some batting gloves, put on my tennis shoes, got a flashlight, <laughs> got a bat that wasn't an Albert Bell model because there wasn't one he didn't have that wasn't coarse. <laughs> Dirt, dirtied it up and took me about two and a half innings to get over there and about two innings to get back. So about an hour and a half later, I come back with his bat and I'd swapped it with the Paul Sorrento bat. <laughs> but yeah, but dropping in that umpire's room was, I don't think I've ever had my heart beat that big in my ears. <laughs> How did you know where you were going? You were just up in the ceiling for like an hour? Just winging it. I knew where they, I knew, I knew they, they were right next to the, the wall that separated the division behind home plate, <laughs> the tunnel behind home plate. And I just had to go as far to the right after I hit the wall as I could. That's great. But they, they, they didn't fall for it, though, huh? No, they didn't fall for it. <laughs> no. No, they got – GM got squeezed, and he, he gave me up. He read it on me, so there really? we are. <laughs> That's great. So then, so after Cleveland, so February of 96, you get traded to the Angels for Brian Anderson and then spent that 96 season in L.A. Now, that, that kind of be your last season at the big league level as a starting pitcher. But, you know, what else sticks out about that year uh, with L.A. in 96? Sorry, I was um, started out fairly fairly well out, out in the rotation. Had had some pretty good numbers, and then you know all star all star break rolls around, struggled a little bit. And they had a they had another one of the draft picks they wanted to put in there, so they stuck me in the bullpen. And I never really fixed in the bullpen, and and I didn't I didn't know how to how to handle that or how to go about my business. You know, I had Troy Percival and Mike James there and Lee Smith. And, you know, they they gave me all the advice they could give me, but you know until you get out there and experience in the game of hitters how to get you know how to get loose what's your mindset's like you know you got to go out there and get people out right away you can't establish pitches you got to have get out pitches you know and uh struggle yeah what what did you prefer more in your career starting or relieving oh i, I should have been a bullpen my entire career oh okay yeah well the numbers speak for themselves i guess later on especially so then so 97 you sign with the tigers in january it's kind of a whirlwind season they release you in mid-march then some time in triple a with the brewers and then finally the royals trade uh jamie brunkton for you uh late july of 97 so you pitched for omaha that year but never up in kc and then i guess my you know my question is memories of pitching in omaha and you know in 97 there and what sticks out about that uh you know just like teammates i got i got the you know Jermaine Dye was there for a little bit. Uh, Rudy Cienes was there. Got got to know him really well. Um, you know, and then it was, you know, it was one of those years where didn't know where it was going to be, what's going to happen. It was just, it was just all over the place, you know, baseball wise and mentally. And then uh, got through that year, and thought about not playing anymore. Really did. My wife, my wife looked at me and said, "Is that what you really want to do?" I said, well, it doesn't seem like anything's going right. She said, well, why don't you just give them a shot, go all in, and let's just focus this entire winter on on you and baseball and see what happens. You know, give it a shot and just see what happens. And then I went to spring training with Andy in 98 as a favor. And then Bud Black took me to to uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, I was the 11th man on the 10th man roster, but he just he fought for me. Huh. And I ended up Pitching the bullpen all year there and closing, closing the rest of the year. And that's when things took off because Billy Connor saw me in uh, Columbus and he saw me pitch later in the year and called me on the phone. Billy Connor's with the Yankees. He said, Jason, I'm not going to say you're going to make the big league club out of spring training, but if you do the ball like you do the ball last year, you're going to help at some point during the year. And so I went to spring training with the, with the Yankees and then 
had a had an incredible year. Yeah, because you were a, what, a non-roster guy for spring training in '99, right? But you made the club. Yep. Funny story about that was I showed up about ten days early. They wanted to get there ten days early. The guys that weren't part of the organization that were coming in, and uh, I was throwing a bullpen, and I told the catcher. Thinker, not do it, and he missed it. Went right between his legs. I threw it again. He missed it. And Billy was down, a couple pitchers down from him. He says, "Hey, that was a good split." And the, the catcher looked at him and said, it "Ain't no damn split, it's fastball." <laughs> oh my god! Came down there. Billy came down, said, "Throw it again." So I threw it again, and he said, "Did he grab me by my shoulder, turn me around, said, you 'You're not throwing a curveball. You're not throwing a four seam. You're not throwing a changeup. You're throwing that every pitch.'" <laughs> and that's what turned my career around. When when did you, did you develop that? Just did it just start happening? Like how'd that come to be? That pitch? No, I, I always had a two seamer, but not, I had no command of it. None. Okay, that makes sense. And and it, it you know as a starting pitcher, you know we just fought locally forcing fastball off speed. You know, and when, when I get ahead of guys, I'd throw a two seamer and get them out of once in a while, or they get past the catcher and they get on base. It was it moved that much. Yeah. And then it took, it took, and then finally out of the bullpen, when, when Billy saw that pitch, he said, that's all we're throwing. He said, you're going to figure out how to get that over the plate. And I did. Very cool. Now, you guys obviously win two World Series championships while you're there. You're in amongst elite company with that, you know, that roster and that bullpen. You know, what are your, who are your, some of your favorite Yankees teammates and your favorite Yankees memories? Oh, all of them. You know, Bernie Williams was my locker mate, and then uh, David Cohn was right there, Jeter's there. Paul O'Neill, you know, Pino Martinez, there's, you know, the list just goes on and on. You know, Mariano, you had uh, Luis Soho, uh, just guys, you know, guys. That, it, it, that, was, that was a team to where there were 25 guys there, and not one guy felt like he was above the other one. Everybody had one common goal in their mind, and that was the win. World Championship, and everybody knew that everybody's going to play a part in it in some way, shape, or form. You know, it's just it's a great feeling to be part of something that everybody's pulling on the same side of the rope. Everybody knew everybody's going to contribute in some way, shape, or form, and you know you're treated as an equal. Yeah, well, and I got to give you a plug then too. So during those two years. Um, you know, three outings, no runs allowed in the playoff. You did well. So 99, you know, pitching it against Atlanta in the World Series. So you're not in the ALDS or ALCS roster, but they put you on the World Series one. So, you know, pitching in a fall classic, what, what was that like for you? Oh, I can't. I know, I can, it's hard to describe. Um, the only time I ever had that feeling was when in my debut when I felt like my feet never hit the ground. And it's, you know, it's almost like a – out of body experience, only way I can describe it. You know, everything that I've been through to that point, uh, from you know struggling up and down, getting traded. I think at the, to that point in time, before '99, I had four years and 132 days in the big leagues over a 10 year span. And you know, it was it was, it was a struggle. I knew I knew I had the arm, knew I had the stuff. It was just finding it mentally. And I think, you know, all those emotions come, especially after the game. You know, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Well, the, so is that the so you signed with Royals before two thousand one? Was that after two thousand the year that James Andrews did the bone chip surgery? Was it that off season? Yep, that was two thousand. That was the winter two thousand. Yep. Okay, so the Yankees had let you go what in November or something like that. So what made you decide right. to, to sign with the Royals then before two thousand one? Uh, you know what? Just felt like there was an opportunity there. You know, and, and Mike Sweeney was there. I know Mike. 
solid, solid human being, great individual, still one of my better friends. Talk to quite often. Um, and um, saw, saw an opportunity to go in there and make a team and make an impact at the back end of the bullpen. Well, and you did that right out the bat, 2001. So 73 games. At the time, that was third in Royal single season history for appearances in 2001. You had a 302, your first uh, 19 batters faced. You got them all in a row uh, in a Royals uniform and then set up for a Roberto, obviously, mainly that year. So that first season in KC, how much fun was that and what sticks out about it? No, it was, you know, that was when everything came together. I got to, I met Brett Strong. We, we changed changed my mechanics. You know, and I went from a ninety ninety three guy to ninety five ninety six. Uh, you know, everything was everything just got a whole lot more consistent, a lot a lot more repeatable, and a lot more. You know, it was it was more about routine than about worrying about where the ball was going now, which made things a whole lot easier on me as, as a pitcher. You know, and then I and then you know I started started. I was I was a club, I was a club rep, you know, for a for our team. I was on the pension committee, so I got involved in in that end of it. You know, it's just, it was just one of those maturing processes where you you know you're a veteran, you know, you're supposed to be a leader in the clubhouse and on the field, and you know, away from the club, away from the clubhouse. And you know, I sort of transitioned to that role there. That was now what I was shown when I was with the Phillies, you know, through Don Carmen and. Roger McDowell, guys like that. I, I felt like that, that. That's where I was at that particular time. And then, so 2002 comes around. So Tony Muser gets fired. Tony Pena takes over. Now, I wanted to ask you about Muser. How'd you like, uh, you know, playing for him? I like playing for Tony. No nonsense guy. Hard nosed baseball man. You play hard, he loves you. If you don't play hard, he's not going to like you that much. Yeah. You know, that's all you can ask for out of a manager. And he was extremely upfront and honest with you, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, great, great baseball man. And then, uh, so 2002 again, you get in 70 games. You have a 3.91. Your Royals pitcher of the month in August, and then baseball history that September. So you've seen the movie. Oakland has the historic 20 game winning streak on the line. September 4th of 02, 11 nothing. You guys are behind. You come back and tie it, and then Hatterberg gets immortalizes, and there's a movie made about it. So you know, what do you remember about uh, what do you remember about that day? First of all, uh, you know, just. Unbelievable! We came back, and then you know you make one mistake, and that that's completely washed away. But I never, you know, I never thought it'd be a movie or anything like that. I just thought it was a, you know, one of those one of those days. Yeah, I mean, you made Hollywood a lot of money. Think of it that way, right? Had, had you had you had you gotten him out, that movie wouldn't have been made. <laughs> right, that is correct. <laughs> what did you think of some of the uh, the actors? I loved the African American guy they had playing Raul on there. Did you, <laughs> did you see some of the yeah, actors? I, 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 I really didn't pay attention to it that much. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't even think I think I don't even think I've seen the movie completely through. I've just seen the clip. Everybody says that to you. Oh yeah, and they see it over and over. Yeah, they said, "What do you say right there?" So, what do you think I said? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've never actually seen the whole movie? No, I don't think so, no. Ah, you got to check it out. It's a good movie sometime. Kinda, I will. Kind of cheesy, you know, Dave Justice buying buying uh, soda pops in the clubhouse. I don't think that probably happened, but... <laughs> you know. No, no. Probably not. Yeah. So 2003, then the next year, that's a magical summer for the Royals, which kind of spoke how you know, depressed this organization had been for so many years. But at the time, 2003, a magical year for us. You, you know, missed the playoffs, but you're in first place late in the year. You're over 500. You have that insane August where everything goes right. McDougal and Harvey are, you know, world beaters. And so that 2003 season, when you think when you think back, how fun was that for you? That was that was a good, was a good time. That was a good time. You know, that's like you said, everything 
everything came together. You know, we just came up a little bit short there at the end, and that was disappointing to everybody. But you know, we knew we we had done something pretty cool. And you guys had uh, Jose Lima was on that team. What kind of man was Jose Lima? Oh, Lima, I mean, he was never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Probably the most energy of any ball player I've ever ever been around. He just always laughing, always happy. So, good guy in the clubhouse. Great man. I love that guy, man. Uh, now, what, how about uh, your favorite KC teammates? Do you stay in touch with any of those guys anymore from you know these days from back then? Oh, yeah, there's Mike Sweeney, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, Mike Sweeney and probably Jeremy. I felt those two guys. You know, I still keep in touch with them. And uh, Curtis Mechanic, still, still talk to Curtis. Did you? you know, those guys really stick out. Did, so, did you meet Sweeney back when you were in Omaha in '97? Is that when you knew him first? Uh, I met Sweeney. Uh, facing with a couple, I think I faced him a few times before that. Knew of him and uh, heard nothing but great things. Just saw the man, and you know, one of the first people I meet when I get there is him, and you know, go from there. Yeah, it's sometimes you think he's not even a real man. He's such a good guy. It's it's amazing how consistent uh, yeah. every day. Every day. He's a great man. Yeah. No doubt about that. Uh, so 2004 rolls around. It's kind of a debacle for the Royals. The Gonzalez and Santiago things don't work out well. The Pena showering and the, and the and, you know, with his jersey on, the Eduardo Velasquez incident. And then eventually you get traded for Denny Bautista to Baltimore in 04. But before that, you know, the first few months of 04, how disappointing was that being a part of that team? Yeah, you know, we had high expectations. You know, there were some pieces added we thought were going to. They thought we were going to help out, but that didn't pan out, you know. And starting pitching sort of took a hit, bullpen sort of took a hit, and then, uh, you know, like I said, we just went into that tailspin. And didn't help that much, you know. It was, uh, you know, it was a little disheartening. Then there was about 15 days before you get traded. I'm sure you probably remember this. June 6 of 04, the uh, the Red Sox are in town, and you and Ken Harvey converge in that infield chopper, and he throws the ball into your head. How awful was that, man? Was that just one of the most painful things ever? Yeah, that's the only time I've ever been knocked out. I knew where I was. I couldn't see nothing. I could hear everything, but I couldn't get up. My body didn't want to work. You know, it was, uh, that hurt. That one hurt. Was that a concussion? I can't remember now. Or was it just? I don't know. There was no, I probably had one. Yeah, <laughs> probably had several, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, you know, back then, it was. I follow my finger. You're okay. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so June 21st, you get shipped to Baltimore. You know, were you expecting that? And then were you? What were your emotions on leaving KC? I was expecting to go somewhere. You know, I knew somebody's going to need some bullpen help. And uh, you know, it was, it was sort of tough leaving. You know, like I said, I had some great, great friends, great teammates, and you know, went to went to Baltimore and played for Lee Mazzilli, who coached me when I was in, in the Yankees. Had a good experience there with running some guys that were good men, you know, great teammates again. You know, in baseball, that's all there are. It's just everywhere you go, you get good teammates. You know, and then uh, do probably threw a little bit too much at the end of that year. Yeah, I think I was up or in a game 19 days in a row a couple times, and, you know, arm just, my arm blew up. Yeah. The ligament exploded. That was uh, with the Tommy John that offseason, right after 04? Yep. Yep, October 11th, I had Tommy John. 
Yeah. So then, obviously, a, r- a real tragic thing happens that off season. You're living in Kansas City. You're, I believe, out in OP. And then, so you, uh, how I understand it is, you dropped your boys off at school one morning. You're going to rehab, and then you get a, you know, the tragic call that a, a plane has crashed into the, I guess, your backyard up to your foundation, and a couple people had lost their lives. I mean, what do you remember about the moment you found that out, and how tragic, you know, how how tough was that? Uh, yeah, that's one of the hardest things to ever go through. You know, and the trauma that it caused my wife, my little girl. And- you know, me not knowing, I knew they were okay, but not knowing if they were okay. You know what I mean? That drive home was sickening. And the stuff that they saw and the stuff that I saw when I got there, you know, it's, it's not, not something that you, you forget about very very easily. Man, so it just came up, like it literally hit your house, like all the way up? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow, not good. Well, so so 2005, you finish up with Baltimore. You sign with Arizona. Uh, you know, June 6 obviously happens and completely turns everything upside down, and your, your reputation kind of gets unfairly, severely damaged. A boatload of false and inaccurate information gets spread, especially by the L.A. Times back then. So, you know, if, if you're cool with setting the record straight, uh, just a few quick questions about that. So now, you know, L.A. Times names certain names that you didn't say because that information later came out and said that you didn't, but... So going back to the day that your home gets raided and these agents randomly show up and interrogate you, I mean, how how shocked were you that that happened? And were you were you expecting that, or were you just completely blown away? Yeah, no, no, I was I was I was sort of I knew what was going on, but you know when they showed up, it's still you know it's still not good, <laughs> put it that way. And uh, you know I made I made some decisions in, in my life, my career, were they the right ones? Yeah, it's debatable, but they're the ones I made, and I got to live with them. And uh, you know, I, I basically told them, I said, "You got two options. I'm taking one of them off the table. I'm, I'm going to retire." So you only got one other option left. And then you know, I had had some really good legal help, and you know, got through that. Um, and uh, just you know, I haven't really talked about it or discussed it. You know, whatever's in the papers in the paper. You know, people don't believe what they're going to believe anyway. You know, no matter what I say or what I say I didn't say, you know, everybody's already got their, their opinions formed. You know, and I just went about living my life. You know, I've been, you know, the people that I grew up with and the people that I've been around in baseball, they know me. You know, my family knows me, my friends know me. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just I just sort of let it go. Didn't didn't want to have opportunities to write books, you know, like all these other guys and do different things like that. And just never wanted to be a part of that. You know, I just let just left it alone. So, what exactly were, the, were these guys asking you? I mean, was it like like grilling you, like where you felt uncomfortable and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, there's there was there were things they were asking. You know, every question they asked you, you you pretty much know they already know the answer to, and they already had the answer. But they just wanted wanted to ask questions about certain guys, and just basically told them never really saw anybody do anything. So you can assume all you want just by looking at them or whatever. I said, but I never physically saw anybody do anything or take anything. You know, that was that was me. I, I, I'm the only one that I know. Yeah. Well, now, with, with now, as far as the different stuff you used throughout your career, was that mainly just because of you know just bouncing back from all the injuries you had and stuff? Is that pretty? I mean, is that why it happened at the time? No, you know, yeah, it's just you know, just we tell people quicker. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, you're 38, 39 years old, and you want to keep playing. <laughs> you know, just one more day. 
and most time they'll do whatever it takes to have one more day. Yeah. How now? How so? How but how did you keep your mouth shut? Like I, I would have been so mad if I was you. So you look back and you see all this crap getting made up, and I mean, I'm sure they probably told you not to say anything. But how difficult was that? You know, for you to not talk. No, it wasn't. It wasn't difficult. You know, I, I just didn't, didn't pay attention to any of it. Never went, never read up on it. You know, people talk to me about it, and I go, oh, "That's that is what it is." You know, whatever you want to believe, you believe. But that that stuff's over and done with. I'm moving on. You know, I'm not going to go out there and sit up on a soapbox and plead my case when, you know, what I did, what I did was wrong and, you know, put my family in a bad spot and put some other people in a bad spot. You know, you know who am I to go out there and scream and holler and try to defend something that's indefensible, number one, you know, even if they try to stick on other stuff on top of it. Well, you probably also found out who your true friends in baseball were too, right, at that time? Oh, yeah, you, you definitely do that. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Well, I guess the last question about that then would be, you know, what would you like to say? Is there anything you'd like to say to set the record straight or anything you want people to know? No, no, it's just, you know, it, it, like I said, it was something that was, that was done. You know, I don't really, not really an excuse for it, but, you know, I, I did what I did. I accept the consequences and, you know, just because, that took something to help me come back a little bit quicker. You know, it doesn't make me a, a convict or a felon or anything like that. It just, you know, it's how much I wanted to be on the field and play the game and get back out there just one more time. Yeah. Well, you had a great career. I mean, I guess last thing for you is, what would you like to say to all the Royals fans listening right now? Uh, just congratulations on a wonderful year. You know, and I hope that it continues. I know free agency's hit, and there's a couple guys that are they're going to be leaving, but the core players. And, you know, the manager, you know, and the energy that town has, you know, it's, it's something I'll never forget. And the fact that, you know, they got a, they made it to the World Series last year. I couldn't, I couldn't be happier for a group of fans or a group of people, players, and, and the front office there was just extremely, treated me extremely well. And that's still one of my favorite places. The only place, only other place I've lived, I made my hometown. That's what I thought about it. You know, I love Kansas City, love the people, love the ballpark, love the fans. It was, it was one of the best experiences I've, I've ever had in baseball. Well, we were glad to have you. You gave us uh, a number of good years, and you know, like I told you, from talking to all these different guys, it seems like you touched a lot of guys without knowing it because they'll, they'll just bring you up unprompted to start raving about you. So you definitely gave back, like Carmen did to you, like you mentioned earlier. And you know, thanks so much for being willing to talk about everything and answer all the questions and for all that you gave us. And you know, God bless. Take care, and, and definitely stay in touch. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you.